0: Hello, creatives. I'm Joanna Penn. And this is episode number 471 of the podcast. And it is the 10th of January 2020, as I record this. So today's show is a discussion between me and Orna Ross, author, poet and founder of the Alliance of Independent Authors. And uh, we do a regular monthly show on the Ask Ally podcast. And I wanted to play our conversation as it's got a whole futurist segment as we discuss trends for the 2020 20s. I also wanted to um, just add a couple more things up front. So first of all, in the technology section of the discussion, I specifically refer to a new book, The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. Now, this comes out at the end of January 2020. You can pre-order it. Now, amusingly, and this made me laugh so much because, you know, we get obsessed about the technology in our own niche. But of course, the tech that Peter and Stephen talk about is, you know, in so much, in so many, Different areas, things like biotech and space and 3D printing and the 5G stuff, and loads of things that are not publishing. <laughs> And in fact, the pre-order in the UK has an audio CD, which I just thought was hilarious. Not even an Audible pre-order, but an audio CD and a hardcover book. There's not even an ebook, so I'm not sure about in America or other regions. They've the publisher has clearly sold their different rights in different regions. But it made me laugh because the future is faster than you think, unless you want an ebook in the UK. <laughs> Luckily, I got a uh, an arc, a digital arc from this. Um, and what's really interesting about this book, and I'm about three quarters of the way through it, it's fantastic, is that I am already pretty engaged with this futurist niche. I read a lot of the blogs. I listen to Peter's podcast. I um, follow, yeah, I follow a lot of this stuff. And yet I am finding that I'm discovering so many new things because of the book. Across lots of industries, I must say, I don't really follow things like biotech um, in too much detail. So I highly recommend if you are interested at all in the next decade uh, or, you know, you just want to think about the ramifications for us or if you, you know, if you write sci-fi, you write things where understanding some of this stuff is good, check it out. Uh, That is The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. Also, on trends, I wanted to refer you to an article by Mike Shatskin. So, Orna and I are talking about trends in this uh, episode. And Mike just posted an article. I can't even say it. (laughs) 2020 zero year thoughts about the changes in book publishing. So I interviewed Mike in episode 446, where we talked about how much has changed in publishing and some of our thoughts on where it might be going. And in this new article, Mike notes how much competition for books has been changed by print on demand, using specifically Ingram's catalogue as an example. Uh, He says, And he really is talking about, and he focuses on traditional publishing and trade publishing. He says, Today it is not uncommon for titles on a major publisher's list to sell almost nothing, low hundreds of copies or even less. So hear this, people, when you go, oh, I've only sold 200 copies of my book. He's saying that it is not uncommon for big you know big publishers to have books that sell in the low hundreds of copies or less. Big publishers are having the experience of three-figure unit sales, so obviously that's under a thousand copies, and sometimes even less on books they issue, and not infrequently. The net result is that new title publishing has become much riskier and more expensive for all publishers. And of course, this is why advances are low and getting lower for traditional publishing deals and why uh, publishers want authors with platforms because it's much lower risk if you know you can sell some copies. Uh, Mike says, if this analysis is right, the inevitable result is that commercial trade publishing will continue to shrink and it will also consolidate And he says, the big publishers today substitute for new title production by buying other people's backlists. So I thought this was interesting. Of course, there's been lots of buying and selling uh, of of publishers. It used to be the big six. I think it's now like the big four or whatever. Um, But they also, these publishers buy up smaller companies. And buying backlists is a trend that Orna and I did not discuss. But Mike's article made me think about it because I have seen this happen to so many indies essentially they're doing well with, you know, maybe, you know, they've got five, six books, 10 books, 20 books, whatever. And then um, a bigger a bigger publisher or a trade publishing imprint or an agent or an Amazon imprint. This has happened to a lot of the Amazon authors uh, will basically pick up the new book, but also the entire backlist. Uh, and I know many authors who have had offers for their backlists, and many who have taken them and some who have not had a big enough offer because they understand the um, monetary value of their backlist. So I wanted to pick this as a trend and an additional trend that Orna and I didn't talk about, uh, which is more uh, consolidation within commercial publishing, but also more offers for backlists of indies. And I don't think it's just the big publishers who will do this. It will also be um, other, indie author type publishers who will pick up other authors within the niche. There's been a lot of talk of more co-writing, co-publishing, but I think this is another trend which will be purchasing within the indie author niche. Because think about it, if you can make an offer to someone for backlist titles that you know you can monetize, I think this will be another trend. So very Interesting, and um, I will obviously link to Mike's uh, article in the show notes. And there are also lots of notes in the show notes for the um, episode with Orna coming up. Just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcasts, click on episode 471 to get all the show notes. You can also uh, leave a comment. And finally, a reminder please help me uh, help you and provide the most value on your author journey. I really want to know what questions you have around writing, publishing, book marketing, and making money with your writing or creative business. So please complete my survey at thecreativepen.com forward slash survey 2020 and be in to win. Uh, There will be a random draw on the 1st of February 2020. And the winner will get a 60 minute one on one consulting session with me uh, valid for an entire year. So don't worry, you can still enter even if you are still at the beginning phase. Um, Now, you can't buy this consulting. It's only available to win. (laughs) So go on down to thecreativepen.com forward slash survey 2020. Right, let's get into the discussion between Orna and I on trends for the 2020s. So let's start Orna, you did a great post which went out on the alliance uh, blog uh, last week uh, self publishing predictions for 2020 which is kind of just for the year um so tell us like what was your what is the overarching feeling before we get into the individual things
1: I suppose the thing that I most wanted to say in that post and that I kind of most like to say as we look now forward at a whole new decade is that we don't just kind of passively accept the future. um, And particularly the situation that we're in right now, we've had 10 years of growing empowerment and so we have more power to reinforce and replicate but also actually create what's coming down the track and to encourage authors I guess to remember that and to to create the change that we want to see by actually taking the actions that will help it to happen so not feeling that we don't have power because now we actually
0: do. Yeah. And I think that's so important and that we don't just go, oh no, this is happening, uh, but actually get engaged with it, which is why I'm so passionate about this technology stuff, because only if we're engaged with it, can we actually have a voice in what's going on rather than just going, oh no, like with the blockchain stuff, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but you know, you really got into that and did the blockchain for authors paper and um, giving us a voice in that space, which is going to become more important. So let's get into the, the list. So number one trend, global reading grows.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we're already seeing that trend over the past number of years, and it is picking up. um, And people who are concentrating on the growth that's happening outside of the US and UK are doing well. And that uh, over Christmas, Amazon has just included its in its advertising and um, dashboard now more countries outside of US and UK. But this is much much bigger than Amazon, and um, there are a number of people in the space. And I think it's worth remembering that people outside of US and UK read quite differently um you know there's a whole stage in the self-publishing process that a lot of self-publishing writers who didn't they missed the intermediary bit with the readers they just went straight into mobile reading mm-hmm. and and as a result you know i think it's important for us to get outside our own mindset and how we read ourselves it's important for us to experience digital reading as a reader and as a user, but then to expand our thinking about that. And I know you have some interesting thoughts about Android and and our over, you know, we as creatives tend to love our Macs. But
0: <laughs> Well, uh, we as creatives in a certain number of countries love our exactly. Macs, but, but um, this is an interesting thing. I haven't written it down here, but it's something like 76% of the US is on iOS, so the Apple mobile devices. Um, but the same percentage in the rest of the world is 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 android because of the cheaper devices so if you think that the majority of the world is on android and for example google podcast is now a default app on many android device you know types. Um, Google Books, which we know we'll talk a bit about, uh, hopefully is going to have a renaissance. Um, You know, there are some really interesting things happening with the Google ecosystem. I did want to add that um, I have now sold books in English in 136 countries, which Mm -hmm. is very, very clear. I was really, because that was 86 this time last year, that's a lot more countries in one year. And that's all in English. Um, and also the stat that by 2025, we're going to have another 1 billion internet users, um, you know, p- middle class. Um, and if people know Hans Rosling's work, uh, Factfulness, that's an, a book recommendation for how good the world is now. Uh, basically, you know, the majority of the world is, you know, moving into the middle class. So we've got people who are able to buy, buy books. Um, so that is pretty, pretty exciting i think global reading grows Um, if you if your books are not available on the google android ecosystem uh, especially with voice search as well then um, maybe this decade is time to think about it
1: yeah and want to put up the
0: priority list if it if it isn't there to put on the priority list absolutely okay second one number two publishing networks decentralize and distribute
1: Yeah. So at the moment, we have a situation where the vast majority of self-publishers are on one self-publishing platform. And that's definitely going to change, I think, in the next 10 years. And again, this is one of the ones that I think where authors can have a real influence in terms of switching readers from where they think about buying their books and bringing them across basically to their own website. We'll talk a little bit more about selling directly in a minute, but also that we will see more... um, platforms which will make it possible to distribute. And I think understanding the value of our copyright and understanding the value of non-exclusivity. And I was interested, there are two kind of works out of them on very quickly. Dracula, um, there's a new series on on TV, but I'm reading, um, I've just finished reading Joe O'Connor's book about Bram Stoker, who's who's the um, author of Dracula. And it was his wife who actually fought a copyright battle for the rights to Dracula, to um, that—that's how her family and the estate made money from Dracula um, because she t- essentially took to court her right to have that and in those days you had to produce it as a play to get your copyright and the fact that we don't have to do that anymore is down to her in in no small measure. Also I saw the new Little Women and there's a, a scene at the end where she stands out for her. They put it into the movie where uh, Louise May Alcott or Jo in the film stands up to her publisher and keeps the copyright um, which he tried very hard to buy out for $500 at the time. So understanding and knowing the value of copyright and the fact that you know we're not really truly independent if all of our options are tied up in one place. And I think there are moves in all sorts of ways blockchain which we're going to talk about in a minute takes that one step further moves it from being a, a, a distri- um, into being a distributed network so I, I think what the message is to start thinking about the ways in which you reach your reader and how you bring your readers to you so for example if you're paying for facebook ads to bring your readership which you have invested in to somebody else and not getting an email Um, address and not building your own assets that maybe again it might be a priority this year to to turn that around and to begin to think about each reader as being an asset for your business rather than an asset for somebody
0: else's yeah and we're going to come on to um diversifying business models in a minute but just just to stay on the publishing network so we've seen uh just before christmas we're not going to do like newsy stuff but overdrive the library system um was sold by rakuten who also owns kobo so and it was sold to a um uh like a hedge fund type uh, investment company which w- w- puzzled me greatly that Barnes & Noble also and Waterstones owned by a hedge fund different one I'm um, like what are these investment companies doing buying the book bi- book businesses now we should be encouraged by that I presume because they assume they're going to make money from them but equally these types of companies do not run book businesses for the long term they're generally in it to make money in other ways so um, this is a fascinating news and you actually put in your article that you think uh, Kobo might also go that way um, any thoughts on things Thinking a decade ahead, like who might be the people standing?
1: <laughs> I think we're just going to see a complete networking of this business, and um, it'll go where we will have a few big players, which may be broken up legally, and that that may happen. But we are going to have a massive network, and and we, what we need to do is make sure that the author is at the heart of that of the network for their own work. So I just think you're going to see, you know, at the moment we have big, big players, big kind of siren servers like Google and Facebook and so on. And they're very clever and they do what they do extremely well. Um, And they have definitely facilitated freedom for the author community. We're much freer than when we were tethered to the physical system. But it's going to fragment, it's going to break up, it's going to your reader, the the day of being a world famous author where everybody kind of knew you is going to go the same way as when everybody sat down to watch the same TV programme. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be far more networked and distributed. That's my
0: prediction. Yes. And uh, uh, sadly, because, of course, all of us would love to make that multi-billion dollar thing. But Lee Child said a few years ago at Thriller Fest, no one can have this career anymore because things have changed so much. And but w- we should embrace that because it's changed our lives. Um, so um, let's go on to the next one, which is... Just,
1: just before oh. we leave, we do have a question yeah. from Julie, and it's a good question about Google Play. Just is it easier to go direct to them now? I think it is easier and we'll get progressively easier and um, she mentions that one of the aggregators Draft2Digital has dropped uh, going to Google Play. It's still possible to go through some of the others. Publish Drive um, is one but If you can and have the time to go direct, do go direct because there are advantages to doing that on Google as on all of the. Yes, and they
0: are. um, They are going to do another push in uh, in early 2020 on getting authors direct. So um, watch this space uh, to be to be talked about at some point. Um, Okay, so number three, author business models diversify. So I'll start on this before you uh, get in the blockchain. One of the biggest trends that is being talked about, uh, everywhere is experiences and, um, how people want to go off, you know, and actually do things together. Um, so it's conferences, it's, uh, author events, it's, doing not just readings we're not talking about readings we're talking about experiences so at the licensing uh thing I went to in Las Vegas they were talking about could you do a one of those locked room things with your mystery or could you do something more interactive um and one of the things will come up with technology but the augmented reality potential of experiences um you know I think there's I'm certainly thinking of going back to doing some more in-person events around non-fiction books. It's really easy because you can just do teaching or, or that type of thing. But even with fiction, for example, I could do a walk along South Bank um, following the path of some of my characters and talk about what London means in that perspective. Things like that, but experiences are definitely going to be um, a theme. Even things like live podcast taping has become a thing where podcasters are selling tickets to attend a taping of interviews, stuff like this. So um, I think that's uh, really interesting. What are the other business models that you think are coming?
1: Well, I, um, we have a list of 10 business models that kind of are pretty all-encompassing of what you can do now. And I suppose what I was thinking about was that as new technology comes comes on board and as we get into this kind of more networked and more personal, which is another trend we we'll talk about in a, in a few moments, economy that um the the models we're seeing will change and will diversify and will reshape exactly how that will be I'm not sure but I think you're absolutely right with the new ex- with the experiences idea and those experiences don't have to be live especially as um a or and um, virtual reality technology becomes more of a you know a reality for authors, I think, would be able to think about experiences. And and the whole thing is about understanding, again, your power with the reader and how much the reader, if a reader loves your book, how much they want to actually engage with you and then what you would like them to do with you. So it becomes a sort of, um, you know, a mutually satisfying sort of um, experience. So, I mean, we can, we've we seen poets in, in the last uh, year or two fill stadiums it's mm. by his audiences. You know, this is new. This has never happened before. And that came out of relationships that were built one by one on Instagram through just putting poetry out there. So through content marketing, essentially, if you want to call it that, or through mm. doing your thing and just being the maker, the creator that you are. You can now, if you get it right and you have, you know, how to build your readership. And that's the real skill. You know, that is a skill every bit as much it's a craft and an art, every bit as much as putting a book together. But if you get that right, all sorts of doors open up to you. So, uh, yeah, I think we will see some very new and interesting things Mm. happen
0: that way. I also think this is important because um, with the rise and rise of more subscription models, I do think authors will have to do other things if they are doing this full time. Many of us know that already. It's like 95% of authors do other things, but I think it will become more of something you have to do as part of um, making a living as a creative will be this, you know, these other business models. So the other thing is um, the, obviously we've mentioned blockchain, which is going to enable direct sales in a completely different way. Um, More global sales, more interesting smart contracts that will potentially reward various people in the chain of making a book or a product, or it will just make it easier. You know, like you and I have talked about doing stuff together Um, and we have done live things together but you know if you know doing co-writing a book for example is still you can use all the different tools but if there was a smart contract where forever these these micro payments went out without the hassle of having to deal with royalties every month that would be amazing Uh, so i think we're moving in the i i can i'm gonna say it we are going to have a solution for blockchain um sales and smart contracts that is usable in the 2020s what do you reckon
1: i think so I do. Um, I, the challenge is getting the readers over. So, and I think that we're going to see a milestone on that this uh, coming year. If Facebook gets their cryptocurrency um, up and running, that's going to introduce people to the concept of cryptocurrency, which is the big barrier. You know, it's like when we started selling books online um, and people have forgotten this, but there was huge resistance to giving your credit card um, mm-hmm, yeah. details.
0: So we've got or to get before it over. PayPal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the reasons that so many readers are on Amazon is because at the beginning you gave your card to Amazon because you're buying something else there as well as your books and whatever and you know it's just easier to go there to buy your books because they have your details and you don't have to go through the whole hassle of... But, you know, as e-commerce gets easier and as people trust it more and use it more, readers are much more prepared now to buy directly from an author than ever before. And um, and we're going to see the same thing here. So I think Facebook mm-hmm. getting their cryptocurrency going is going to melt that barrier for a lot of readers and that's the point at which it will begin to happen and like all of these trends what we've seen is it's you know people are kind of talking about it for a year or two and then it begins to happen and then suddenly it, it really picks up speed if it gets going so yeah, I, I'll stick my neck out with you. And I say yes.
0: Yes, that's one. Oh, that's a prediction. Um, and now we're going to have to make sure we're in the first wave <laughs> to, <laughs> to make that happen. Um, okay, well, so let's move into technology. Um, just keeping an eye on the, on the time because this is a pretty big one. Um, y- the number four, growing uptake of technology by authors, creatives and trade publishers. Now I'm going to recommend um, a book um, and I'm on the ARC team. So I, I'm actually reading it right now. It's out at the end of January. It's called The Future is Faster Than You Think. How Converging Technologies Are Transforming Business, Industries, and Our Lives by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. Uh, so the future is faster than you think. And, uh, you know, if you listen to us regularly or my show, you'll know, I'm pretty well, you know, into this tech industry and I'm learning something new on, you know, pretty much every chapter. I'm like, wow, I didn't actually realize we were that far ahead with this or that or the other. Um, and that's hence the title of the book, the you know, the future is faster than you think, because so many of the things that feel futurist are actually um, here now. So I wanted to just um, pick up Uh, on one of the big trends that they're talking about and that I believe, again, I'll put my finger in and say, yep, this is going to happen, is 5G technology is going to dramatically change lots of things. It's going to be a bit like, uh, you know, we just talked about mobile. Um, 5G is just the latest iteration of mobile, which is so much better that it's going to enable things like um, alternate reality, sorry, augmented reality, um, self-driving cars, Lots of technologies that we've been waiting for this to appear Um, so when they roll out 5g it's going to have a big impact and that's going to change lots of other things for example if you think that people are going to use much more self-driving technology uh, and won't be actively driving so much that's going to expand the amount of content that they can potentially uh, consume which will hopefully impact us in a positive way so 5g is going to be one of those um big deals uh, according to all the people who know what that means
1: good <laughs> i love the um the teaching potential i mean a lot of authors are also have an educational bent it's it kind of goes with the territory and i think you know 5g is going to be very useful in that regard and making things that have been you know pretty tech heavy and and kind of daunting to to make happen i think should i think um be, be a lot easier
0: Yes. Yeah, so for example, if I do my experience of come to Bath and come to one of my workshops, uh, I could also have people who can watch in real time that's much, much better than the current webinar type stuff um, because of the low latency of 5G. So I think it's it's going to be very interesting. So let's, um, the next thing everybody knows that I love a bit of AI, um, But but this is fascinating because, and I just shared with you on AI Trends, the US Patent and Trademark Office is actually seeking comment. And it closes this week as we record this. um, They're already closing their comments on this. Some of their questions around AI include, should a work produced by an AI algorithm or process without the involvement of a natural person qualify as a work of authorship protectable under US copyright law, which is Can an AI have copyright in a work? And the other question I thought was interesting because it really relates to us is to the extent an AI algorithm learns its function by ingesting large volumes of copyright material, does basically the law um, address this? Should authors be recognized? And I actually addressed both of these things in my podcast in July. And we talked about this when I said, okay, what if I made, uh, what if I wanted 50% Stephen King? 30% 30% Dan Brown, and 20% JF Penn. I could do that by reading those works into an AI and having it generate something. And this is what these questions are about. So the reason they're doing this, and this is the US patent, you know, copyright and patent trademark office. This is a government department. This is not a future technology institute. So the government is thinking about these things, which means it is imminent. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Honor?
1: Well, it's huge and and there are not, you know, there are no easy answers to these questions. Obviously, as an author's organisation, we would want authors to be recognised for this type of use of their work um, and we would want like to keep copyright for the humans, but it's not easy, uh, you know, it's not easy to separate these things out and I think it's really interesting how fast this is moving because... We were kind of engaging with these questions and bringing them up um, for our copyright bill, which we did in the middle of last year. And here we are already, you know, six months later. And as you say, the um, major government is already making moves. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens? comes from this a- anyone who has an interest please do comment uh, we'll be putting in a comment we not in the US but um those of you who are and um, um, please do you know let your voice be heard on this if you have an opinion and if you don't have an opinion and you don't really know what it means what the implications are please do educate yourself around this because it's it's really important to know about it um yeah it's the Mm. first step
0: yeah yeah and um i've uh, again i'll we'll link in the show notes but i mean automated content generation is is here i just um a company launched just before christmas publishes high quality content in a hundred languages within minutes in every vertical and category with natural Mm. language generation and and my thought with this um you know We are both really positive people and I'm engaged with this because I want to be part of the change. And I always talk about surfing the change rather than drowning in the tsunami. But I run a business, you know, I'm a businesswoman. I have a business head um, and I also see money here for on both sides. But what I do see is publishers potentially uh, disintermediating authors by, um, so let's take a well-known romance imprint that has had people writing for them for many, many years, who could potentially read in every single one of those books into an algorithm to then generate more romance novels. Why would a publisher not do that? and they probably they do own all the copyright to all that material so there and I know this is also already starting to happen in other places like China which is well ahead so what does that mean for us and we can't look at this with a sort of oh no the sky's falling let's just ignore it what we have to do is advocate for our rights but also build a personal brand which is what we harp on about regularly we need people to care about us and about us as an author name, not as this ex-publisher or unnamed author.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is the key at the business level. And then at the the level of law, it's all about copyright, which is becoming more and more important. And it's important to realise we're talking about global publishing. But in lots of countries, copyright's not respected at all. Um, it doesn't exist Perhaps, but also or, authors
0: have assigned the rights that, to a publisher.
1: As well, There's nothing we can absolutely don't do that. <laughs>
0: <For sure.
1: laughs> don't do that. Um, you know, limit your term, limit your territory, limit, limit, limit. That's your job when you're having a conversation with a rights buyer. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a lot to think about here. But focusing in on... Um, on copyright, I think, is is the important thing to do uh, at the
0: legal... And and personal brand. And personal brand at the business level. Absolutely. All about that. all about those things. Um, Then just one more thing on technology, because I think this is fascinating, is um, neural technology. So um, both uh, Facebook uh, has bought a, uh, and we've seen the headlines on this, Facebook, you know, writing with your brain, and also Elon Musk with the Neuralink, which they launched in uh, July 2019. Now, there are already neuro tools for people to use prosthetics and things. But this is a really interesting, I was reading about this again in this book, and they were basically talking about why do you have to speak your dictation? Why can't you just think your dictation with your wake word, you know, think your wake word. Um, And this is interesting to me, because one of the things that stops me dictating is the fact that I write in a cafe. (laughs) So, so I, I struggle with that because, you know, there are people around me, but I think this is, um, I'm going to put myself out there and say that we will not be using neural technology to write our books in the 2020s. I'm just going to go with definitely not. What do you think?
1: no writer is going to want people to overhear all their thoughts let's it. So <laughs> the reason we write is because we put down something and then we get a chance to edit it and everything before we put it out there <laughs> yeah we don't even like talking very often never mind having our thoughts out there so yeah I agree with you but again it's super interesting
0: and who uh, knows I, I mean seriously <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I could definitely be used for a good plot uh, good plot line in a book at you know at minimum
0: at minimum. Well, I mean, you could say, look, we, it was only what 10, 11, 12 years ago, we couldn't even do this. Like, we're talking over the internet. You are not here in my room. I mean, that's crazy. That is amazing. So, anyway, that is a future technology. So, um, is that, have you got anything else on the growing uptake of technology? No, I think that's enough to, to keep us going for the next 10 years. Definitely. <laughs> next 10 years. Okay. Um, next one, number five audio becomes integral to the author business. Uh, do you want to start on that before I come back?
1: Yeah, um, I, we, we kind of, I think we're in the same place, but maybe using different language. But um, yeah, the written word is one thing and the spoken word is another. And we've seen more and more authors getting involved in audiobooks. And now it looks like that's going to become much cheaper to do. So I think audiobooks are going to become the second format. So it'll be ebooks, audiobooks, print books very soon. Um, because AI technology is going to make it so much cheaper to create a book. And um, audio also in, and I I mentioned audio, I didn't actually speak about video because I think fewer authors like video. Um, A lot of of authors are too shy for video, but there are those who are using it to great effect. So I think we've got kind of two things to think about. We've got the audio books and video books um, on the one hand. Um, and then on the other, how we use audio and how we use video in our book marketing for that personal brand of ours to reach those readers that we, we you know, we most want to reach in our segmented, in our new segmented and networked world.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And my my feeling with this, and I'm uh, very engaged in voice tech, um, uh, and I just uploaded, I've got a page now on my website, thecreativepen.com forward slash voice double. You can actually listen to the two iterations of my voice double, which is an AI. Uh, voice synth, like a deep fake using my voice data to train an AI. Um, It's not available to purchase as yet, (laughs) but it will be at some point. Um, And in fact, I'm going to say that I will license my voice in the 2020s. And this is why I think audio will be ubiquitous. So what I mean by that is every single thing that is in text will be enabled for audio. You will just be able to pick a voice and it will read it. I mean, there are things like natural readers, which, you know, already, can read any text. Uh, Obviously, people for accessibility can already do this, but this will be, um, it will just be everywhere. So, and I think the costs for audio books are coming down so much uh, with potential of AI voices that I would, I think I'm pretty much going to wait myself for books I'm not narrating because I really I'm I'm so confident that we're going to have much cheaper audio production in the next couple of years this is not and this is to say as a narrator and if you're a narrator listening I think again this is about voice brand this is about personal brand and making sure your voice is not Uh, you know, licensed by the people who own the recordings of your voice um, and actually making sure that you can um, profit from this change in the environment. Because obviously, again, it's a bit like eBooks, but we we didn't have any. And then we've got lots of them and they're everywhere. And every single book, print book should have these other formats. But, um, and this is what I think is going to happen to audio, but we need to make sure that people can still make money from it. So again, this is the cutting, the kind of knife edge of, yes, we want more audio, but how do we pay the creators or the um, other people? And I'm very excited about this because it means we can also play with audio much more. So I'm listening to World War Z at the moment by Max Brooks, which is in each chapter is a different voice, which is so expensive to do, hugely expensive to produce. But if we can do that with AI voices, we can produce creative projects uh, in a much uh, easier way. So I'm quite excited about that.
1: I really like it too. I mean, I love the idea that there will be a voice like mine, better probably than mine, um, that can read my stuff without me having to sit in a sound room and and narrate it because I don't enjoy that process at all I like it as an editing process but aside from that I don't I don't enjoy it so I really love the idea that 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 will become possible and uh, yeah I'm kind of going to sit on it now on audio just for a while and just see how soon that sort of stuff becomes available because I think it's progressing again really super fast I loved your voice and um, and i thought it was amazingly good you know not 100% but really not far off i could listen to it i think no yeah,
0: problem. exactly and it does sound like me um okay. and china again is ahead um baidu has a voice synth that only needs 3.7 seconds of audio um, to synth the voice. So, this is this, when this is now, people, like, this is what I mean. This is not very futurist at all. What, again, we'll have to check. This is what I, I mean, possibly the biggest upheaval in copyright and licensing law is coming in the next decade because of all this stuff. Because at the moment, there is no um, audio rights. For example, one of the things I posit in the book is I don't want to have to listen to American white male always narrate the business books I listen to. Why can't I listen to Irish female? or nigerian you know young person or whatever to listen to the why can't i choose the voice per book and i think that's coming too um, it has to i can do that for netflix i can choose all these different um languages uh you know all of that so i think we're that would be another pick you didn't quite put that down but it's involved you know this will be a huge upheaval in copyright and rights licensing absolutely uh, okay Six, growth in personal publishing. So what do you mean by that? Well,
1: I mean, we've, we've been alluding to it the
0: whole way through and we're always kind
1: of talking about it at some level. So there's, there is the personal branding thing, you know, which is where the marketeers kind of begin the conversation. But actually, it begins further back in terms of, you know, for the creative. I think we begin to think as we are creating our, our stuff about who's going to buy it, what our unique selling proposition is, you know, why us? Why would a reader buy what we're offering? Uh, mm-hmm. What is our very particular thing that is is going to be attractive to them? And you know, I th- I think in the past, and I think people still do, and sometimes you do it because you have to do it. You just sit down and write what you need to express. But once you become a self publisher, I think that changes to some degree or totally um, where you begin to think much more about what people need and what people want from you and what you can provide and how you can provide it. And there is a whole growing um, in that that never stops. So that's what I'm talking about, beginning with the the whole thing of where are my readers? How do I connect with them? What is my value to them? How can they help me to grow? You know, how can I grow um, my readership? And I think, you know, it's part of it, it. It's an essential skill for us to grasp now. And you can see as you look around you that the people who have, who are doing well and who are selling well, who are building this kind of sustainable author enterprise that, that we talk about, something that's long term and that you own. The People who are doing that have nailed this. They've worked it out. And the only way you can work it out is by actually doing it, by publishing, by putting it out there, by getting the responses, by refining Experimenting, exploring, so it's a process that goes on and on. It doesn't stop, but it is really important. And I, th- I think this is a trend that has already started, but that we're mm. going. To s- it's going to become the situation that if you don't nail this skill, if you don't actually understand this, you're not going to succeed. It's going to be the people who who get this and do it well who are the people who are going to get that readership and um, that keeps them going for life.
0: Mm. and well, I I kind of took this as a different angle, which is um the global trend in self-expression and that kind of um like we talked earlier about the rise of a middle class. Um, when people are just you know, scrambling to get food and look after their kids or whatever. Um, they're not gonna be sitting down reading some fiction or writing their memoir. But what we're seeing is a rise in the time and the ability to to create more. And we're gonna see this again with an extra billion on the internet. Who knows what this extra billion is going to create? I think it's amazing. And um, you know, I talked about this with Mark Dawson last year. We we were like, it's so easy to feel like the self-publishing movement is so far on. But for most people, it has not even started yet. And so I think that is also part of the growth in personal publishing. We're probably not even seen 1% of the potential of creatives and authors in this new world, aided by technology. But also what that means is, you might just do it for personal reasons and that's okay. You can create your memoir just for the fun of it. It doesn't have to make any money. So I think we're going to see more of that
1: Yes, absolutely. And as a result, we're going to see more diversity in publishing, I Mm -hmm. think, which is something that, you know, white middle class publishing has been talking about for 40 years (laughs) now and want to fix from the top down by, you know, it it just doesn't work. I think Mm -hmm. just give people the tools to express themselves. And that includes. Yes, it, it it includes though the education and you know what Virginia Woolf called a room of your own, and the income to be able to to sit down and do it. Um, but as it grows we we grow together authors and readers we are the same sort of um body we are an eco- a, a, an ecosystem that is completely dependent one on the other and lots of people who write nobody reads more than writers read And um, so of course there will always be readers who don't write but as expression in the written word grows so um, does readership, I think, inevitably. So it's all of that I find very exciting. And you can see now that corporations are doing the same, businesses are doing the same. They're taking over their own publishing. They're setting up publishing programs. They're getting involved mm. in social media. So publishing, the written word, is becoming ubiquitous as well as, as the spoken word. So um, all good positive trends for those of us who have managed to get the Together.
0: yeah absolutely okay and then uh number seven author empowerment uh, yeah so tell i mean we talked a bit about this i think at the end of 2019 but um yeah what, what what do you see this where do you see this going i guess
1: well i think it's kind of why it's important i think you know i writers can suffer from a lack of self-esteem. It's, you know, that whole exposure thing. And sometimes, you know, you, you wonder where this drive to create comes from. But actually, we're far more powerful than most groups of people. And we can really make change happen. And we're part now of this kind of global maker movement. Independent creators are becoming a force in every industry. People want the personal touch. They want the small, the real, the authentic, the personal touch. And so that's really great for us. I think we're part of a trend that is growing. And what makes... Our business unique is that we're not just uh, every creative business. The creator is not just concerned with profit. They We want to balance. Sure, we want profit. We have to have it to keep going. But we balance that always with, a, you know, a sense of passion, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose and balancing those two things is exactly what our world needs. The reason we're in such trouble as a planet and politically, socially, is we've got completely out of balance around this whole thing of profit. And so I think if creatives can, and authors particularly, who are putting out the ideas out there as a truly empowered creative class with a kind of sense of our own significance so that we don't throw away our copyrights so that we're not on our knees saying, publish me, please. Mm. I think we can really we could make a serious shift in how business operates and that would make a shift in how everything operates so i know it possibly sounds utopian or idealistic but i really do believe that you know grasping that is something that we our community needs to be thinking about at least
0: Mm. And I think there, the education is so important. We see um, a lot of authors still not understanding, you know, even the basics of copyright. Um, and in fact, it's funny, I listened to your interview with Rebecca Giblin, um, about, which was an ally uh, basics podcast uh, last year. And it was not, I don't think it was basic at all. Um, but this is the thing, authors tend not to know these things as basics. And and to be empowered, to be empowered authors, we have to know the value of copyright, and to also understand um, that that value doesn't just get expressed by one ebook sale on Amazon. That that's where we're talking about this whole ecosystem of products and multiple streams of income. And I agree with you on the one hand about the profits thing, but we also, in order to talk to people in that area, we have to um, understand. The profit motive and why, Why and to also, like I'm seeing about the disintermediation of some authors with some niche publishers, um, what the profit margin will do if we don't uh, engage with discussions around that so that everyone can make a living without screwing over someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it comes back to valuing ourselves. Uh,
1: you know, we can't value our copyright if we don't value ourselves. We can't value ourselves and our work if we haven't done the work. And mm. the work includes the knowing who the reader is and the ability to reach the reader, find the reader. You know, that is a skill that is now part of what we do. With, the, with the, you know takes a long time to become a good writer and it takes time to become a good publisher which includes being a good marketer these things are these are skills that are not kind of won overnight and I think our community does need more support from the creative industries and um, education generally and the literary and publishing establishments but with those two skills in hand and, you know, when we value ourselves, then we really are empowered. So that's the push that we will hopefully see in yes. the next 10 years.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, OK, so the 2020s, what will not change? Uh, I mean, obviously, what won't change is we still believe we're going to be here. <laughs> Honor and I still doing a podcast. <laughs> 2029. 20, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That would be be kind of crazy. But um, I mean, I've been podcasting for over a decade. So why shouldn't we still be podcasting in a decade? We might be in a virtual environment where you can all join us. Um, That is definitely uh, a possibility. In fact, why don't we even say that? Like, you know, in the the late 2020s, I think you'll be able to join us in a virtual space and, um, you know, watch us, our avatars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like a live event to ask your questions yes.
1: properly and all of that
0: which would be yes. amazing would and be you fun. can wear whatever virtuals things you like <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which will be cool so anything um obviously you know we're, we both intend to be around still writing still telling stories still teaching um anything else that you think won't change uh in the 2020s I do think it's really important to say that the fundamentals of creativity won't change. And, mm. you know,
1: uh, learning your own process, all of those kinds of things, they have been the same since people were telling stories around the fire. They have changed remarkably little and won't change in the next decade or probably we won't Ever. change the foreseeable until, you know, we get the chip in or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, learning our craft um, in terms of reading, writing, learning the craft of publishing, understanding that, you know, publishing will always be those seven processes. You'll always need editing, design, all of the things that make a book. Um, they're not likely to change, actually. Technology has not changed those at all. and um, And readers need for story, inspiration, information, all the things that we have to offer, that's not going to change. So I th- and I think that's really important that we hold on to that. It's mm. all about balancing, isn't it? It's like you have to go there with the marketing stuff, with the tech stuff and balance it with the creative stuff. And and it it's a very full life when you get that balance right.
0: It is. And the other thing I think is, you know, being curious and trying things out like uh, to me, that is the only way forward. Um, You know, there is no degree in this stuff because it changes all the time. What's so funny is with this book, the future is faster than you think. I know it's already out of date because the moment you write it down, I already have to change something in the book that I sent to you, you know, because things change so fast. Um, So yes, we're both positive about the 2020s um, and we'll carry on. We will be here next month. I guess we can't promise 2029, but we will be here next month. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to step back from um, the technology and talk about how to sustain a creative life for the long term, um, mainly because I've been looking back at my website over 11 years and finding that a lot of people have moved on, have have left the writing world, have uh, their websites are gone, uh, companies are gone. And it's kind of made me think, wow, okay, I'm still here. Um, And what, and you you know, you're still here. And a lot of our friends are still here, but a lot of people have gone. So what are the things that we can do to sustain that creative life for the long term? And even if people want to leave writing books, you know, the creative life doesn't stop. Um, so yeah, any, any final thoughts, um, on that? Yeah. I mean, no, I'm looking forward to
1: looking at that, that thing that doesn't change. And, and because if we don't get that balance, right, we're in this kind of abundance environment, where there's so much going on and there's so many opportunities and so many things you can do. The only way you can make the choices is to actually understand your own creative process and how it works and how to, you know, look after yourself so that you can keep on keeping on. So, yeah, that's what we'll talk about next month for a total change Yes, of, a total change. Means. And I'll,
0: tr- I'll try not to mention anything technical. <laughs> Techie or theory. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'll make it through, uh, you know, but I'll try. Um, OK, so um, anything else, Orna, for the Alliance? or uh, I mean, I guess no, we're coming up on London Book Fair really soon.
1: Yes. So the session after next will be London Book Fair, probably. Yes, we we have the indie author rights program running at the moment, mm-hmm. so we'll have lots of um, sort of interesting things to report back from on that. And just to say also, if you're on the website and you see any funnies, we are in the middle of an upgrade, so we're not doing it kind of off scene. We're doing it page by page. So if you find anything strange, come back later. It's probably going to be fine.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. Happy writing, happy publishing. And see you next time. Bye-bye. So I hope you found the discussion with Orna useful and that you found some interesting insights uh, in what we talked about. If you have any thoughts or comments, then you can leave a comment on the show notes on episode 471 or tweet me at The Creative Pen with a double M. Uh, so in the next show, I will be talking about pitch power with Kate Harrison. And this is a really good interview. I must say I was very engaged. I, I learn a lot from Kate and uh, I I think this book is so good. I got a digital arc to prepare for the interview, but I bought it in print and I have it here on my desk because uh, this is something I so need. Uh, so essentially we tackle pitching your book to agents and publishers if you want to go that way, but also how to craft a pitch before you write um, in order to write the best book you can and how to write a good blurb as an indie or how to update the blurbs you already have done to make these pitches or hooks or story questions or benefits or emotional resonance much stronger. And uh, this is a great interview coming up next week. So happy writing and I'll see you next time.